Welcome back to today's episode. Today we are discussing sociopathy and psychopathy and at the end we answer some of your listener questions regarding the antisocial personality disorder. Hey guys, just a warning, this episode discusses violence, trauma and abuse. If this is a trigger for you in any way, we strongly suggest that you skip this episode. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode. Today we are talking all things antisocial personality disorder. Kat, lovely, lovely Kat, how are you today? What's been happening during your week? I'm well, thank you Amy. I just need to set the scene for our lovely listeners. It is 6.30am on a Wednesday morning and it is not our usual recording time. Um, Usually we record after work and we look very professional and well most of the time anyway and this morning we have yeah speak for yourself <laughs> <laughs> we have rolled out of bed this morning a little bit not bushy-tailed and bright-eyed but I'm ready for a 6 30 session Amy maybe this is our new thing maybe we need to make a 6 30 session now our new podcast time look I sincerely hope not because I would say more puffy-eyed and you know not bushy-tailed <laughs> like Messy. you said very very messy tale uh but cat what is your pit and peak of the week my pit and peak okay so i my peak would be that i had a lovely weekend it was supposed to be my wedding weekend this weekend and i went down with a few of our friends including you my darling my darling maid of honor and we just had a really nice weekend down the south coast and it was actually just such a nice weekend I'm so glad that I did something and then just sit at home and feel sad so that's definitely my peak it was very lovely to spend time with everyone and disconnect um my pit would be oh gosh so the other day I was getting <laughs> my lashes done and Anyway, so I hadn't seen my lash lady in a, in a while. And for anyone who gets their lashes done or their hair done or their nails done, they have this special bond with the person that helps them out with their beauty. So for my lash lady, I really love her and I hadn't seen her in a, in a little while. So I was like excited to see her. And in, my, in the place where I go get them done, um, it's quite open play and studio. So it's not like you have individual rooms. It's like they've got kind of beds close to each other and it's really open. Anyways, so I go to see her and I go and sit on the bed. But I kind of, because I was a little bit excited and joyful, like I almost leapt on the bed. <laughs> Just a little jump on the bed. <laughs> And as, as I leapt on the bed, the leg of the table snapped in half. So <laughs> I was on the bed and then I was, I started to fall. Like the whole bed just collapsed and my limbs were everywhere. And I was trying to like get back up, but I couldn't, it was too late at that stage. And the lady that does my lashes was in the middle of taking a sip of water. And as I was falling, she choked on her water. <laughs> and then spilled it on herself. And then the lady next to me who was getting her lashes done <laughs> heard the commotion, tried to sit up. And as she sat up, because in lashes, for people that don't get them done, you need to kind of tape your lashes shut. As she sat up, like she opened her eyes and ruined her lashes because <laughs> she wanted to see what was going on. So it was just a schmozzle and I broke a bed and it just really triggered me from childhood because... 
<laughs> I was that kid that sometimes would jump on trampolines and break them. So <laughs> that, that was quite tough for me the other week. Um, so yeah, I'm just, you know, I was really humbled by that experience. I went home and I was like, oh God, another one, another, another thing I've broken. So that it would sound, be my It tip. sounds like your, your typical bull in a China shop moment where you <laughs> <laughs> go in and it's just like a domino effect. <laughs> and I'm so nervous to go back now. I'm so worried. And I was like, look, I'll pay for it. I'm so, so sorry. Like I, you know, I've just went to the gym. I shouldn't be feeling heavy at the moment, but you know. Oh, I, lo- I love how you explain it too. It's not just like, oh, the table wobbled and I lost my balance. It's like, no, I legitimately snapped the table leg. <laughs> and, and, and she moved me to another bed and it was really lovely. Was it a sturdy bed? <laughs> Look, <I don't> <laughs> did, it have, did it have stronger limbs? I was like, I'll just stand. I mean, I think that's the safest option. But yeah, as I was getting my lashes done, I could hear the other lady trying to fix the bed and she like gradually just got more and more unenthused about it she was like it'll be fine it'll be fine it'll be easy to fix and then five minutes later she's like I hear her say yeah look I think we need another one I think we need need another bed so bad I was like so that was my uh my pit and it really humbled me and I'm sure you gave them all some entertainment for the day um and yeah you know these things happen sometimes we break beds in the eyelash salon I think and the worst part is it's such a nice salon. Like it's really peaceful. They have that beautiful. <laughs> well, it was. It was really nice and peaceful. <laughs> just trying to go and get the eyelashes done in a nice, relaxing environment. Then I've just jumped on the bed and snapped it and caused. Oh, anyway, Amy, please tell me your pit and peak does not involve breaking a bed and embarrassing yourself. Look, I'm happy to report that I haven't broken any beds uh, this week. Thank you. you. It's the small wins in life. Um, My pit and peak would have to be, my my peak would be the same as yours, but uh, not to be boring and and just say same. Uh, I think my peak will be that I have holidays coming up and ordinarily I find you know, holidays, super, super exciting uh, because it means that obviously you get time off work, all that kind of thing. But I think part of my peak is that with our little business, the site collaborative, I actually am feeling a little bit like, oh, I don't know if I really want to take time off that. And I think that's a peak because I think it's so lovely to be doing something that you don't need a holiday from, if that makes sense. Still super looking forward to holidays and having some time off to to beach and to spend time with my partner and, you know, Christmas. I love Christmas, all, all those types of things. But, I, yeah, I was just reflecting and I think it, it is. It, it's so great that we have created something that I don't feel like I need a holiday from. That was such a beautiful thing to hear on a Wednesday morning. And I I totally understand and agree with that. That is so lovely, Amy. You are such a wonderful practitioner. So I'm sure that you and your clients have got such good rapport and it makes sense that you don't want to have a little break from it. Oh, look at you. Stop. Make make me blush. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I think my pit, my pit, my pit. Um, I did, I spent an hour, this is really embarrassing. I spent an hour trying to log into, uh, it's a, yeah, kind of like a, a database for my work. And 
I was like, oh, what is wrong? And I tried to call IT and they weren't answering. I left so many messages. Sorry, Dan from IT. Um, and what I had actually been, been doing <laughs> is typing my name, um, which is sometimes, you know, my, my username. Basically what I was doing is, is typing my name into the password section over and over and over again, wondering why I couldn't log into this database. And then I realized, oh, I, I, I'm typing my username in my password. I don't know what, ha- what was happening for me. My brain short circuited. I had a moment, but the most frustrating part of this was that I'd spent an hour trying to figure this out and left you know, three voicemails to poor Dan. And so that when he got back to me, it was like, you know, hi, so sorry. I missed all of your calls. You know, this must've been pretty urgent. I then had to make up, you know, this elaborate lie of why I was in such distress, not being able to log onto my database. And I was like, oh, but don't worry, Dan, I've fixed it. You know, I'm a bit of an IT genius. I've solved all the problems. Got through the firewall. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, okay, yep, sweet. Good job. Wow. Yeah. I feel like IT, it's not a, it's not a strong point oh. for anyone, but especially you. I really I'm so technologically challenged. <laughs> anyway, so. Remember that time at uni? That is my favourite mm, story. Of it's, it's my least favourite story. <laughs> can I tell the lovely listeners what happened or you prefer not to? I don't know. You can share. So, Amy and I went to the same uni and I think it was your third, third year. So, I must have been, was that when I came in and... I don't know. Anyway, so for some reason we're in the same class or we're just hanging out in third year and um, <laughs> you were tethering off your phone. Like we were, do- we were doing study slides together or something. You were tethering off your phone to get onto the internet. And I said, Ames, why aren't you just using the uni uh, Wi-Fi? <laughs> she goes, oh, because I don't want to have to pay for it. I said, Amy, how long have you been tethering off your phone? To use, the, to use an internet at uni. And she goes, oh, like, for th- you know, this is my third year, so for the whole three years. And I said, and how much does that cost you in your, um, your kind of your phone bill? And you're like, oh, I always go over. It's at least like $150, $200 a month. But, you know, got to do what you got to do for uni. And I was like, hey. <laughs> you definitely don't got to do what you got to do. Stop. <laughs> Stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> I was like, Amy, you know the uni Wi-Fi is free. She goes, yeah, but I don't have a login. I was like, your login is literally just your login that you use for everything at uni. I think that was the most embarrassing part is because I didn't understand how Wi-Fi worked. To give context, I grew up predominantly with my father. Um, My father's a single parent and he does not understand technology at all. So I just kind of fumbled my way through this, you know, technology determined world and, you know, hoped for the best and yeah I, I didn't didn't really understand that the wi-fi was this thing that you could log into I imagined it like those modems that you had to plug into your computer you know so that you would you would have to pay for that nevertheless uh like, moving did on did you just look around and think god everyone must be, <laughs> must be spending so much money on their phone like did you raise this with as a concern like why am I spending so much money on the internet how is everyone else doing it no, and I'm so glad I found you at uni because I didn't have a lot of friends at uni. I was that little nerd that would go into the library and spend hours studying. And so I didn't form a lot of um, 
relationships or connections with peers and that is one piece of advice that I give anyone that is starting at uni take time to meet people and connect because you learn things like wi-fi <laughs> oh my god I just I just remember being like Amy you don't have to do this <laughs> so grateful for you boo you can turn off that tether baby never turn it back on <laughs> I'll show you the world <laughs> may you never hotspot again and she never did, ladies and gentlemen. And she never did. Oh god! That, so that, yeah, I think Amy, you, you're definitely um, you do struggle, but look, you have come a really long way. I think opening a business with someone really shows their technical skills. And can I just say, or lack thereof? No, you've actually done really well. You know, a few hiccups here or there, but overall, I think you're definitely past the beginner stage. Really proud, Boo. Oh yay! Thank you. So lovely. Alrighty, shall we move into the episode? We shall. Okay, so today we're talking all things psychopath and versus sociopath. So Ames, tell me a little bit about, this is something that you wanted to talk about and it's been so funny because since the beginning of the year, you've put it on every episode note and we've never talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, okay, today is the day. that. Oh, I'll give it to her today. I'll let her have it. She's having a tough week. So Amy, <laughs> tell me why we are talking all things sociopathy and psychopathy today. Well, I think part of why I'm so interested in sociopathy and psychopathy and why I find it so fascinating is that I understand very little about it. Mm. Um, we, you know, I think as a society have manifested this, you know, conventional belief that sociopathy and psychopathy is this malicious intent to harm others. But I think it is far more complex than a single answer allows. And, you know, I think we, we create this very simplistic kind of view that, um, antisocial personality disorder means that those people are bad people and it's easy to kind of go to those very simple answers but the reality is that we don't necessarily know that much about antisocial personality disorder and the things that we do understand uh, about antisocial personality disorder is that the problem is that they have very little true feelings at all especially for others which allows them to treat others as objects and have all these, you know, really terrible traits that we hear about. So I, I think what's interesting to me is the effect of their behavior is undoubtedly malicious, though intention is not necessarily the same thing. And I think that's what makes me really curious. And that's what makes me really interested as we dive deeper into uh, explaining what antisocial personality disorder actually is. Yeah. And I think that, you know, given the amount of interest at the moment in true crime and, you know, the crime podcast, there is always so much chatter around the terms sociopathy and psychopathy. And yet they often use interchangeably, aren't they? I think not just in media, but with forensic psychologists, in the legal system. And yet there is no real clear definition for either. So I think the interesting thing with sociopathy and psychopathy is, as Ames was saying, it's actually referred to in the DSM as antisocial personality disorder. There is no clinical diagnosis that separates and distinguishes sociopathy and psychopathy, but they are both personality disorders. I think what's interesting with these two is because the media uses sociopathy and psychopathy, it's still in our vernacular and it's still 
being used rather than antisocial personality disorder. So I think the interesting thing is that researchers are on two sides of this. They either believe in sociopathy and psychopathy and feel like there are clear differences and know exactly what, you know, the diagnosis is. And yet there are the researchers that just feel it is a personality disorder under the umbrella of antisocial personality disorder. So it is quite confusing, isn't it? I think when you are researching it too, there's no clear differences, but I think today we're going to explore exactly what antisocial personality disorder and, you know, how researchers are to do distinguish sociopathy and psychopathy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so true. Oftentimes we use those terms interchangeably, although they're not synonymous, to describe serial killers or crazy characters in movies. Like the first one that popped up to me that's often described that way is the Joker. I think uh, a lot of people, you know, will um, link sociopathy or psychopathy to characters like that but when it comes to the clinical perspective like you said it actually falls under the uh, antisocial personality disorder and I like to think of it as more of a spectrum than a disorder because it is so yeah that, that, that there's definitely similarities between the two but there, there's also differences as well and it, it does kind of fall under that umbrella, as you say, Kat. But just like any other personality disorder, um, I think it's interesting to note that with antisocial personality disorder, someone under the age of 18 will often be diagnosed um, to something that is referred to as conduct disorder first. So um, conduct disorder is typically thought of as committing crimes for the lack of a better way to explain it and the onset is usually around or up to the age of 15 so someone with conduct disorder might be deceitful they might lie a lot um, they might have um, I guess a lot of disregard for societal laws and they kind of have their own set of rules and they may even put others in danger for personal gain or as children it might look a lot like hurting animals. So also from a clinical perspective for someone to be diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder they must meet the criteria for conduct disorder first and then when they are at the age of 18 clinicians will look at diagnosis for antisocial personality disorder. Yeah, with the antisocial personality disorder, a precursor is having the conduct disorder diagnosis. And it's very likely that if a child displays those conduct disorder diagnosis or those symptoms, it's likely that it will develop into antisocial personality disorder. I know, Ames, that when you work with children currently, when I did, looking at conduct disorder, it was so important that it was intervened with early um, just mm. because of the vulnerability for that child or the teenager to develop into those, those antisocial behaviours. So I think that's really interesting interesting to note that it looks, you know, there's a different diagnosis in childhood. Um, so I wanted to talk about this, you know, the similarities and the differences. So researchers feel, you know, that the sociopathy and psychopathy share the common behavioral traits. So common behavioral traits of both include a disregard for law, as Ames has said, a disregard for the rights of others, a failure to feel any empathy or remorse or guilt, and the tendency to display violent behaviour. Um, but some researchers believe that it goes further than that, that sociopaths and psychopaths have their own unique behavioural characteristics. So 
researchers feel that sociopaths tend to be a lot more nervous and easily agitated and they are more prone to emotional outbursts, including fits of rage. Researchers feel that they're more likely than psychopaths to be uneducated and they sometimes find it difficult to hold down a steady job or stay in one place for very long. It's also really difficult for sociopaths to form attachments with others and therefore they really struggle with relationships. I think it's interesting to look at psychopaths as a, as a key area of difference is their ability or the lack of ability to form emotional attachments. So researchers feel that while sociopaths can form some emotional attachments, they're very limited, but they feel that psychopaths are not able to form any at all. Researchers feel that psychopaths tend to be a lot more aggressive and predatory in nature, and they tend to view others as objects for their amusement. They feel that they lack total empathy and actually a lot more in, have a lot more interpersonal skills than sociopaths. So psychopaths may be really charming, um, and that means that they're actually quite manipulative. So in, in, I guess for both sociopaths and psychopaths, they are not able to understand emotion. So what psychopaths, what a skill that they have is that they, because they're so disconnected from their own emotional regulation and recognition of emotion in others, they actually learn to mimic emotions. So instead of feeling the emotions, they look around and see what it looks like to mimic those emotions. And so that's what makes them really, really manipulative and really charming. Um, and psychopaths are often well-educated and able to hold steady jobs. Yeah, I would say another big key difference is the brain differences. So psychopathy tends to be more of a genetic predisposition, uh, typically, and research has shown that the brain function of a psychopath is critically distinct, being that psychopaths have reduced connections between their ventromedial prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain which is responsible for empathy and guilt, and the amygdala as well, which, uh, as we know, mediates our fear, uh, stress response and anxiety. And research has also shown that psychopaths have an underdeveloped or underdeveloped components of the brain commonly thought to be responsible for emotional regulation and our impulse control. I remember uh, at uni, I had a really, really great lecturer. He was in criminal psychology and he explained it. Um, had a really great analogy that stuck with me that our brains are like fingerprints. Every fingerprint is different. Every fingerprint has a different pattern. However, psychopaths, if they, if their brain was a fingerprint, they would look very, very similar. So it's almost like they have a manual and, and that's why they are possibly a little bit easier to spot with red flags. Um, although they are great manipulators and they actually understand emotions really really well they're experts in understanding other people's human emotions because that's how they mimic them that's how they become masters at I guess forming those very superficial surface relationships so that they can meet their own needs um, but it but they do work very very similar so it's almost like there's a pattern of behavior for psychopaths whereas sociopaths tend to be that very erratic, um, reckless, impulsive behavior. Um, so that they're, they're much less easy to spot. It might look like they uh, have more behavioral issues. Um, yeah. And, and like Kat was saying, uh, psychopaths typically tend to be really successful in their careers or, or in the workforce because of their ability to be really, really calm and another key difference is that psychopaths 
are able to remain very calm and collected under pressure because they have something called a resilience to chaos, which means they thrive in situations that others would find really, really stressful. Uh, and as Kat was explaining, that's where you know a, a key difference is with sociopaths because they tend to still find, I guess, anxiety-inducing situations quite stressful. So they you know, are very reactive, whereas uh, psychopaths tend to be really, really calm and controlled in situations that we would often find really distressing. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, psychopathy? And I think it's so interesting when you look at the neurological uh, roots and, and understanding how their brain is so different to that of a, in quotation marks, healthy individual. Um, and I think that just the lack of emotional recognition and processing is such a key point to developing psychopathy, um, especially mm. because it does have those strong genetic influences. But it is so interesting that, as you said, Ames, that they, they probably understand chaos and can survive in chaos. And so therefore it's not something new for them. Um, and so that's probably, yeah, as you said, why they're able to stay calm. Um, so talking, so we spoke that psychopathy has those strong genetic roots. And I, I think that it's another key difference that researchers feel is that sociopathy is more the result of nurture or their environment. So researchers have found that, you know, in, for someone who develops sociopathy, it could be their product or the result of someone who had experienced childhood trauma um, or physical and emotional abuse. So because sociopathy appears to be learnt rather than more innate, sociopaths are capable of empathy in certain situations, but only with certain individuals and not with others. So it's interesting that sociopathy tends to be more as a product of childhood, childhood trauma or abuse, and psychopathy seems to have the more genetic influences. So that is another key difference with, with the both of them. You know how we spoke earlier about the fascination that people have with true crime and, you know, we spoke about that antisocial personality disorder or so, psychopathy and sociopathy. There seems to be a prediction um, a predictor of crime and psychopathy or sociopathy. So in 2012, there was a study in the UK that scanned the brains using fMRI of 44 adult male offenders who had been diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder and the offenders committed crimes such as murder, rape, attempted murder and grievous bodily harm. Of these 44 participants, 17 met the diagnosis for antisocial personality disorder in the extreme range. They also had the control group. They scanned the brains of 22 healthy non-offenders. So interestingly, the study found that those who had been diagnosed with a severe antisocial personality disorder or psychopathy displayed significantly reduced gray matter volumes in the anterior rostral prefrontal cortex. So this is the area of the brain that is really important in, in recognizing and understanding other people's emotions and intentions. And I think that damage to these areas is associated with impaired empathy, um, a really poor response to fear and distress and a lack of self-conscious emotions and a lack of morality of right or wrong. So you can see how the areas in the brain that are responsible for healthy, normal empathy, emotional recognition, um, they are totally they are reduced and impaired. So you can understand that from a neurological perspective, specifically um, for these offenders, that they, they lack 
the morality. They may lack the guilt or shame when they do something wrong and that may make it easier for them to, you know, commit a crime. So psychopaths have been found to be 25 times more likely than non-psychopaths to be in prison, uh, four to eight times more likely to behave violently and are resistant to a lot of forms of treatment. So psychopathy is a very strong predictor of how likely one is likely to re-offend after release from prison. So not just their ability to offend in the first time, but if there has been a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder, it is likely that they may re-offend. Mm, no, that is really interesting. And I think one one thing that is important to point out is that although it is great to have those statistics and typically, yes, those with antisocial personality disorder are more likely to um, be violent or engage in criminal activity, not all people that have ASPD are violent um, and not all people that have ASPD do engage in criminal activity. Yeah. I, th- I think that's one of the myths associated to to uh, psychopathy or sociopathy is that they are all violent and that they are all criminals, and that is not always true. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, a lot of I guess the the stereotype is that they are the the violent. There's the violence and the aggression, but I think specifically with psychopathy, psychopathy is actually very intelligent as we said so they are more of the manipulation the emotional manipulation the um the sneaky manipulation and i think that's really interesting to note is that they're not all on the streets killing everyone you know it's a lot more subtle than that and not necessarily just um just intelligence as being that main factor you know knowing that they have a, a different uh neurobiology that allows them to stay calm and controlled in distressing situations means that they function a lot differently in environments than what people who who don't have have those brain differences so sociopaths you know tend to have those angry outbursts and that reckless uh you know reactions because of I guess those brain differences and that's maybe what sets them apart is not that they lack the intelligence. Uh, it's just that they lack the impulse control. Mm-hmm. You know, they, t- they tend to be, um, <clears throat> I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They tend to be more vulnerable to anxiety. So they do, don't do as well in those environments. And I think too, with the, with the added maybe trauma or abuse or the way they were raised, um, they are, I guess, more prone to big risk-taking behaviour that maybe hasn't been carefully calculated like their counterpart psychopaths may have. And that is maybe where we're seeing, Kat, like you're explaining, that sociopaths do tend to engage more in criminal behaviour because they do so in an impulsive and largely unplanned way with little regard to the risks or consequences of their actions um, because they do tend to have that, I guess, aggressive, easily angered, um, sometimes violent outbursts, not always. And those kinds of behaviours, I guess, increase their likelihood of being apprehended. Yeah, absolutely. There's a really interesting study I want to talk about as well. And you know how we were mentioning conduct disorder. So I think what's really interesting with understanding sociopathy and psychopathy is their ability 
all lack of ability to understand others' emotions and to empathise. So when studying conduct disorder, um, there was a 2017 study from New York who were using facial recognition tasks to examine how well children with conduct disorder were able to recognise the emotions of others around them. So they found that those with conduct disorder were actually more likely to misidentify sad faces with Mm -hmm. anger and over-recognise angry faces. So Conduct disorder symptoms were associated with mistaking sadness for anger, suggesting that those with conduct disorder interpret sad faces as angry and may be less effective at recognising others' sadness, pain and suffering. And they may interpret that as rather as anger, which may cause that reaction, right? The anger reaction. So isn't that interesting how Mm. even in conduct disorder that those children are not able to you know, they misinterpret sad with anger. And I wonder if that's a reason why they feel this total lack of empathy because they may feel that there's a lot of people in their lives that are, that are angry at them. Mm, absolutely. Well, it's a learned behaviour then, isn't it? And that's what I, I guess we're describing when we talk about the key difference with uh, sociopathy is that uh, sometimes it is a learnt behaviour or they are a learnt behaviours from our environment and how we are raised. Uh, and I guess that is another myth is that antisocial personality disorder is untreatable. And we know that uh, with trauma or, uh, you know, abuse, developing uh, maladaptive coping mechanisms or our patterns of relating can be rewired. Uh, definitely not easy, super, super difficult. But that's not to say that it is impossible. I think if um, it is more around our environmental factors that we develop ASPD or symptoms of ASPD, uh, you you can see an improvement in some of those symptoms through through treatment. And it makes sense when we're talking about antisocial personality disorder with trauma, because naturally, if you experience some childhood trauma, you you are less likely to show empathy to others. You go into protection, don't you? You kind of lose how you relate to others and you go into that, I need to survive. You know, you go into that, I need to look after myself and survive. So it makes sense that sociopathy can develop from that and, you know, understanding how trauma works in childhood and how that can manifest in adulthood. I think sociopathy is just another disorder that can occur from experiencing trauma. Well, I think what's interesting with trauma and sociopathy is the anger and the, I guess, uh, aggressive outbursts because anger is is a protective factor for vulnerability. You know, anger is like our bodyguard emotion. It's there to keep us safe. I, I definitely don't think that is to say that if you experience childhood trauma, then you are more inclined to be a sociopath. Um, but I, I can definitely see how symptoms or certain traits of sociopathy would stem from trauma as maladaptive coping mechanisms to to protect yourself definitely i think it's really interesting when listening to this and ames and i always say this is if this is ringing true to you for example with the trauma or if any of the symptoms we've said please don't self-diagnose um when i was researching this ames really interestingly there was so many tests you can do online and one was, mm. am I a sociopath? Am I a psychopath? And I actually did one because I was like, well, <laughs> let's see if I am. And I scored in the average sociopathy range. Um, I was a little above average as sociopathy. So 
please, please do not self-diagnose. Do not do any of those online tests. They often lack the clinical basis and often a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder, not just for yourself, but for others around you does need a clinician um, and does, it's a, you know, it's not a diagnosis you can make with one session. It does need uh, at least a couple of sessions to understand childhood and your patterns of behavior. So just be really wary specifically for something like this. Please don't self-diagnose off the internet. Yeah, because ASPD is a very complex personality disorder, um, you know, characterizing individuals with, you know, a real, I guess, extreme, uh, you know, when we're looking at a, a lack of regard for social norms, empathy, remorse, guilt, um, you know, th- those kinds of things that are described, they are all very complex, very extreme uh, characteristics. So, Uh, Like I said, just because you may have experienced uh, childhood trauma, neglect, abuse, and you may, like Kat was saying, be hearing some of these things and and wondering if if that is similar to you, um, I think roughly, statistically speaking, 1% of the population uh, would fall into ASPD. And typically, uh, it is more common in males than females. Interestingly, men are five times more likely. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Okay. So going into treatment. So when we put up an Instagram last week, people were really interested in learning about whether there is a treatment for antisocial personality disorder. So I guess just from the get go, antisocial personality disorder is quite difficult to treat um, just because people with antisocial personality disorder are often not willing to engage in therapy or are not willing to um, recognize that their actions and behavior are wrong or that they, you know, they also don't maybe like to be challenged. So I think antisocial personality disorder is quite difficult to treat, but for some people it's not impossible. Treatment and close follow-up over a long-term period may be really beneficial. And I think it's just about looking for the professionals who have experience in treating antisocial personality disorder. And, you know, it is a long-term, a long-term treatment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And some of those treatment options might include medications and therapy. So medications are like mood stabilizers uh, for some of the symptoms pertaining to ASPD and um, therapy for, I guess, the the behavioral symptoms. So behavioral therapy can alleviate some of the symptoms. Um, And like Kat was saying, over a long period of time, they can be effective treatments. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with, you know, studies informing treatment, as I just talked about the facial recognition task, that would be something that early intervention for conduct disorder, I think, is definitely a really strong predictor for treatment over the lifetime of someone who does um, get diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. So I think early intervention is definitely key. So um, as I said, social skills development, facial recognition tasks in children, uh, learning and modelling empathy. And then also on top of that, maybe skill building. So if if there is, you know, for sociopathy and psychopathy, there is that underlying emotion of anger. So skill building might include anger management, self-soothing strategies, uh, emotional regulation, and even cognitive therapy and psychotherapy as well. Um, but it's, it's just, you know, I think it really comes down to whether that the client is willing to want, want to change and want to seek therapy. I think that's the most important thing that determines the success of, of any treatment really. Yeah. 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 You can't force someone into treatment if they they don't want to. 
So I think, yeah, it is an interesting personality disorder and it is so complex. And and we just hope that we've cleared up some of the stereotypes and confusion around psychopathy and sociopathy because it is an interesting, interesting personality disorder. Yeah, definitely. It's a pervasive pattern of disregard for violation of the rights of others, but it is also a complex, complex pattern of of behaviour that I think is so widely misunderstood. And I think with the neurological roots and neurological, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The neurological influences, you can't change a brain, can you? I mean, you can't increase someone's empathy just with no there's no pill to take to give you empathy (laughs) yeah and and I think from a neurological perspective you know that's really difficult to change so that's why treatment of this is quite difficult um, because it does go back to those neurological basis it's not just behavior it can be more neurological so yeah it is a really interesting interesting disorder um, and it is a complex one as well so if you do know anyone or if you you know people may feel that they have known someone with sociopathy or psychopathy or been in a relationship with someone with sociopathy or psychopathy <laughs> so um, I think just acknowledging that that person you know may be really harmful because I think um Ames I remember us talking about psycho um psychopathy and pairing with an an empath so someone who you know that it can be really difficult for in relationships they're naturally drawn to each other aren't they a psychopath and an empath and I think that that relationship can be quite toxic because the empath will want to meet the needs of the psychopath and the psychopath may just be forming those surface emotions and having a almost like a fake connection and I think that as an empath you know and a psychopath it's a bit of a a explosive relationship sometimes Mm, a a really unhealthy relationship and I think uh, another driving force when we talk about sociopaths and psychopaths too is that they want to dominate others and this is a way that they that may or may not involve breaking the law, um, but they want to dominate people in order to get things from them, you know, such as their possessions, money, sex, uh, business partners, you know, investments, reputation, social status, and so forth. So they like dominating others. One, just for the feeling of it, power and control is something that is a driving force, but also again, because they lack conscious sociopaths you know still are able to have conscious but it albeit very very small so they tend to to have that disregard for others which can make empaths or or people that are sensitive very very vulnerable um, to emotional abuse manipulation and it tends to be a recipe for disaster yeah because psychopaths and sociopaths are so good especially psychopaths that being quite charming and manipulative and using people for a certain amount of time. And then when they get what they want, they're likely to kind of be able to walk away and disconnect and have no emotional um, responsibility. Mm. Whereas an empath, they, they find it quite easy to form connections. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a really toxic, unhealthy relationship to be in. Mm. Um, so if you are someone that does recognize with that, or you have been in a relationship or you currently are, we definitely do recommend that you seek some support. Yeah. And, and just on that, I think the key difference is that psychopaths aren't able to emotionally attach, whereas an empath is craving that emotional attachment. Mm. I think if you sense that um, 
you might be dating a psychopath or a sociopath or that you have a friend that is a psychopath or a sociopath or a family member. Um, Use web, their words, their emotions, their behavior, which involves 90% of people, um, you know, obviously more than 90% of people would never do. But I guess we can pick up on hints through people's words, emotions and behavior. So I guess their words are mostly, if not entirely, are false. So are they making these big grand promises and stories about the future, but have no basis or I guess experience at, at whatever they're planning? Um, because I guess that is a red flag. You know, are they trying to manipulate you or promise things in order to get something that they want? You know, is there an alternative desire there that they're trying to meet? Um, and we can usually we can usually spot patterns through through people's words. Um, or that, or on the other hand, are they extremely negative words? Um, are they often blaming you for things uh, or manipulating you by saying things like "I I can't trust you" or um, Ultimately, you will usually disappoint uh, a narcissist. And I think another point to raise is that sociopaths and psychopaths are strongly linked to narcissism. They fall under the same personality type B, I think it is. Uh, Don't quote me on that. Um, But yeah, I think that's another interesting uh, point and where we see this relationship cycle is, is quite, quite similar to the narcissist versus empath relationship cycle. And one way or a big way in how people manipulate is, is through their words and they make you feel like you've done something wrong when actually you haven't. It is just a manipulation tactic. Um, a psychopath and sociopath will often switch back and forth between you know, that really charming, charismatic, grandiose personality to get what they want, depending on what they see is or isn't working at the time. So looking at their behavior, is it consistent? Does it change? You know, watching out for strong opinions that they might then drop or adopt, you know, opposite points of view when it's convenient for them. Because remember, psychopaths in particular are masters at reading uh, our emotions and they're masters at mimicking Um, human emotions as well so they will use whatever words they perceive will help them dominate the situation at the moment to kind of get what they want they're they're like artists and we are all colors and they are wonderful wonderful um artists at at painting pictures of of how to get what they want or, or painting a situation that will lead to them being able to get what they are trying to attain and I think similarly with narcissism as well, it, it's interesting to note that if there is someone who's not giving them what they want anymore, their reaction may be more anger, more frustration, more manipulation or total disconnection. It can go one of two ways. So I think also being really, I, I think you say this with clients who do know someone who is a narcissist or have these beha- these personality types, when you start to you know, not play into their manipulation or not give them what they're wanting, their reaction can vary and it can be quite sometimes quite aggressive. Um, mm. they, they may feel like they're losing some control over a person um, or they may be able to totally disconnect and just walk away, which can be really, really hard. Either way is really hard for the person who's trying to walk away from a relationship. Yeah. A relationship with a narcissist or a psychopath. 
Yeah, I would say that the biggest red flag or the biggest aspect to be mindful of are your own emotions. Uh, I know we had a listener question that was around how sociopaths or psychopaths can latch on to you, um, especially if you are an empath or if you are someone that is more of a sensitive person. I would ask, how do you feel around the person? Because often your emotions are the first telltale sign uh, to be aware of because, you know, your brain wants to believe them. We are not designed to, well, most of us are not designed to automatically think that someone is lying to us, um, especially not when they're, you know, telling us everything that we want to hear. You know, many people will marry sociopaths and psychopaths or hire them, uh, do business deals with them or elect them in really high positions because, you know, that they're selling us what they want us to believe. Um, they wanted us to believe um, that, we, that we fit that criteria. Um, so pay attention to how you feel. Trust your feelings rather than their words. If you have an uncomfortable or extreme kind of feeling, check into yourself. Um, and I guess, yeah, pay attention to how you feel when you're around them. You know, fear might be a feeling. Infatuation, if you have that extreme um, kind of love bombing at the beginning of a relationship where it just feels like, um, you know, this really fast pace, just almost too good to be true infatuation. Uh, extreme sympathy is another thing to check into if you find yourself feeling extremely sympathetic towards someone um, you know they are skilled at claiming victim that they're victims um, and have great stories to go with that because again they're master manipulators um, so they are usually really great at um, creating I guess that victim story uh, to to gain control and to get what they want as well. So really, really paying attention to, to how you feel around them and, you know, even noticing things like uh, if you're starting to doubt your own intuition or your own thoughts and feelings, that's a big red flag as well. Gaslighting, yeah. It, mm. It's all very, very possible, especially when you're in a relationship with someone like this. So just be really, really mindful um, and make sure that you're taking the steps to look after yourself and, yeah, trust what, as Angel's saying, trust your emotions. They tell you a lot. Mm. Ask what they were like as children. <laughs> or about their previous relationships. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably tell you a lot. Um, all right, guys. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We hope that that helped you to get a basic understanding of psychopathy and sociopathy and hope, hopefully clear up some stereotypes. All right, guys, we will see you next episode. Next episode is our last one. Last one for the season. <laughs> Why are you so happy about that? <laughs> Amy hates me, guys. <laughs> no, I don't. Love, 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 love. Guys, we will catch you next time and thank you so much for tuning in and we will speak to you next episode. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you're not already, please follow us on Instagram at The Psychology Sisters. We are also now providing online psychological sessions. For more information, please follow us at The Psych Collaborative. See you next time.